you gotta go now. Let's go. Now. It's right behind your house. You don't have time to carry your stuff. Let's go. Come on, ma'am. We don't have time. You have got to go now. You have got to go now. Let's go. That was Lieutenant Keith Hopper of the Vacaville Police Department telling residents in the path of the recent Hennessy Lightning Fire to evacuate immediately. I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, two Chronicle reporters, Matthias Gaffney and Lizzie Johnson, are here. They've reconstructed the path of the Hennessy Fire as it raced from Napa County over the hills into Vacaville, burning homes, causing people to flee for their lives, and stretching firefighters who didn't have nearly enough resources. It's a frightening warning for the future of California. Matthias and Lizzie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Guys, this is an incredible account of a fire blasting into Vacaville, and the detail is incredible. But but I want to start at the beginning. August 16th, it's a Sunday. What happens on that day that, that gets this whole thing going? So there's, as you probably, everyone in the Bay Area probably saw, there was a, an amazing light, lightning show um, overnight Sunday. People posted all their photos and videos of lightning hitting all across Northern California. Um, and it sparked a bunch of fires um, throughout Northern California. Um, not this one, um, but uh, the next day, mon- early Monday morning, a second smaller um, set of thunderstorms came through and hit the Napa Valley. Yeah, so so August the 17th, and, and Lizzie, there's been fires up in these hills above Napa so many times near Lake Berryessa, and that's where this strike happened, right? Right, yeah, and this is a similar area that we saw impacted by that Atlas fire in 2017, which was one of those really ferocious wine country wildfires that terrorized the region and killed dozens of people. All right, so there a fire starts above Napa, but but it doesn't immediately do the damage. Obviously, a lot of times we see these fires, they do their damage right away. But this thing starts burning up in the Napa Hills, and why aren't they able to get it out? So when the fire starts burning, it's pretty small at first, about five acres. And the incident commander goes up there, he looks at it, and he's like, okay, this isn't too bad. We should be able to put this out. They have air attack come, dump water, dump that pink slurry retardant, which slows the fire spread. But then the storm cell moves through and starts whipping up these winds, which push the fire onward. And from that point, it burns pretty uncontrollably. And one of the reasons why they aren't able to put it out is because they don't have the resources. A lot of the firefighters have been shipped south to fight the SCU complex, which was burning in the South Bay. So they're pretty much fighting fire with an arm tied behind their back. Yeah, and that SCU fire, the firefighters there were complaining in the Santa Cruz Mountains that they didn't have enough resources either. It became a real theme, and we see the consequences of that. Okay, so what what happens as this fire grows, and, and do we know early on that, that Vacaville is in danger? Yeah, so no, Vacaville, I mean, you didn't really even see much of this early on, this fire in the news. Um uh, it's kind of slowly working its way down the um, Highway 128 corridor, which is kind of runs south of um, Lake Berryessa. And, uh, you know, on by Monday afternoon, it's uh, or sorry, by Tuesday afternoon, it's kind of 
run past uh, this small winery, uh, Nicolini Winery, that, um, and they get some media attention then, and the, the winery's saved. But it's still in a pretty unpopulated area, but it definitely starts racing through these valleys um down there and you get you start hearing of mass evacuations in these small communities just on the southern end of vacaville and you know we listened to a lot of radio traffic during that time and you can you're hearing you know residents watching their their houses burn down through like surveillance cameras you know from far away as it's happening and basically the firefighters they were so um uh, short of resources that they were essentially doing rescues and structure protection when they could, but there was no real effort at that point to stop the fire. Cause it was just, there just wasn't enough people and resources to do that. Yeah. I mean, we played that clip of, of the officers in, in Vacaville going around to homes and saying, you need to leave your house is going to burn down. Um, which is sort of sh- shocking, but, but that's where they were at. Right. Yeah, so the fire kind of peaks over into Vacaville, the outskirts of Vacaville at about close to midnight on that Wednesday. So now we're talking about August 19th. um, And there's a call from a woman on a ridge, which is kind of like almost a border between Napa and Solano counties. And uh, she thinks she has second-degree burns and she's going to evacuate, but... um, I think firefighters were somewhat caught off guard that the fire had reached there so quickly. Um, but they immediately started evacuating these parts of Vacaville that are just downslope from that ridge. And yeah, so there is Vacaville. We got body cam footage from the Vacaville Police Department as this uh, these two officers kind of raced up and down Pleasance Valley Road. And you see homeowners with this giant red glow swirling in the background. It looks like it's like, you know, 15 feet behind their house. And they're kind of somewhat nonchalantly just bringing their bags out of a house um, and getting ready to kind of evacuate. And these officers are like, you got to go. Your house isn't going to make it. And then they, you know, go on to the next home and try to get everyone else out. Along Pleasance Valley Road, one of the people that we talked with for this story was a woman named Debbie Sherness. And the officers came to her house as well, tried to get her to evacuate. She and her husband defied those evacuation orders, which officials have asked people not to do because it can oftentimes go very wrong. In this case, it turned out okay for them. They were able to save their house. But as we'll hear from Debbie, it was a really fraught night because they were hoping firefighters would come help them. And that just wasn't in the quartz because there wasn't enough firefighters. So we kept fighting it and kept fighting it, thinking, okay, the fire department's going to be here any minute. And... No one came. And so it was it was a sinking feeling. But by then the driveway was on fire, all these bushes and things up and down the driveway. And then the corner caught on fire and my husband and son were out there and that was probably the scariest part because as the police were evacuating the man across the street that we know he was yelling to them and the fire a fireball just came over the dirt berm and basically almost landed on them and so they evacuated they got out of the golf cart and ran. So I have no doubt if we had left, we would have no house. Not that a house is the most important thing, but we have built on it for 30 years, and this is our home, and this is where our memories are. So it sounds easy. Oh, get out for your life. You know, don't stay for the property. That's not important. It is. Okay, I know the firefighters would have helped if they could have, 
but I was told from many people, they were told to not save structures, only save lives. But what a sinking feeling to think when you call 911 and no one comes. Lizzie, you raise a couple of um, issues there that you've written about a lot. One is that is the degree to which firefighters do structure protection around homes and try to kind of whisk the flames by. It's, it's a big part of firefighting in California. And the other is the, the lack of resources on this fire and, and how that changed it. Right. So, I mean, ideally, firefighters would have time to help save all of these structures. But at the end of the day, they have three things that they prioritize, which is life structures in the environment. And so if you can't save the environment or structures, you focus on lives. And that's what they were doing on this night. They simply didn't have the manpower necessary to save these homes along Pleasance Valley Road and other roads in that area. So the houses were burning and they were trying to get people out as fast as they could. Some people seeing that decided to take matters into their own hands and try and save their houses, which worked in some situations, but it's a really high risk because at the end of the day, you could lose your life while doing that. Yeah, it's another thing we saw at the SCU fire, the the one in the Santa Cruz Mountains and some other fires where people fought it on their own. Obviously, right, firefighters do not recommend that. Right. Um, there's just a lot of unknowns. Like there could be a backburn that firefighters have lit that you don't know about that is coming back towards your house. And of course, if you aren't a firefighting professional, you know, that's a really tough job to do. So they encourage people not to do it because at the end of your day, your life is more important than your house. Uh, Matthias, we spoke uh, in the middle of the night that night when it was starting to rip through Vacaville and you drove out there. I know it was chaotic when you arrived, but um, in researching the story, you found it was even more chaotic, right? That 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 some of the scenes of, of sort of survival uh, were happening just really quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's this really uh, quickly raced through. Um, uh, when it hit Vacaville, uh, I showed up there probably around 3 a.m. that morning and I hit Pleasance Valley Road first. Uh, and I mean, just right off of Interstate 80, you know, the, the areas that you kind of drive past all the time, um, were burning. It had, the fire had just kind of swept through and, you know, livestock were there, you know, uh, huddled in corners of trying to avoid the the flames houses were on fire were about to get on fire there was no sight of um i shouldn't say no sight but there was very few firefighters there um trying to douse these flames it was they were had moved on to try to protect basically downtown vacaville which was the kind of next in the in the way of these flames and i remember um, then going out even further, kind of deeper, heading towards Winters area, you know, English Hills Road and Gibson Canyon Road. And it's starting to turn daylight and there's there's fires sweeping through there. Again, very little firefighter uh, uh, presence able to do much for as far as structure protection, even at that point. And houses are just catching on fire um, and people are racing out, you know, part of the the, some of the audio we heard from firefighters, you know, they're, they're winding up mixed Canyon road, which is, I, I drove that up with our photographer, Santiago. And it, my gosh, it's like the last place you'd want to be escaping from a fire. It's just completely over the over top of the road is, is got trees over it. There's, it's like a one lane road where you'd have to pull over to maybe pass another vehicle coming in the opposite, opposite direction. 
And, you know, we were hearing these audio from firefighters who are going up the canyon while people are trying to escape down the canyon. And there's pickups with, like, the beds of their truck on fire and a horse trailer with a wheel missing that was sparking and starting spot fires. I mean, it was just a very chaotic scene. All right, let's take a quick break. This is Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back. To read our account of how the Hennessy fire tore into Vacaville, go to sfchronicle.com slash Vacaville fire. Welcome back. I'm Damian Bulwa. This is Fifth and Mission. We're talking to Matthias Gaffney and Lizzie Johnson, two wildfire reporters that are that did a reconstruction of the Hennessy fire. And that's the fire that ripped over from Napa County into Vacaville, burned a lot of homes. Um, a quick question before we go on to what you found uh, about what happened that morning when the fire came through. Was there any ability to do the the things that firefighters would like to do, like carve containment lines and stop the fire further up into the hills? There were no firefighters available to do that, and the fire was moving much too quickly for them to be able to think out that kind of a plan. By the time the fire started reaching the doorstep of Vacaville, all firefighters were concentrating on doing more saving lives and evacuating people. It was interesting, I think, too, Lizzie spoke to the incident commander kind of in the early, early hours of the fire. Um, you know, they he sees like a five acre fire and it's in this very inaccessible area and he calls for backup. There's no dozers available from Cal Fire or anything, but they wind up like getting this uh, winery that had a construction company working on the winery that was kind of in the path of where the fire might go. And they got that bulldozer. <laughs> to to start to draw a line to try to do a fire break and you know it didn't work in the end but you know they were really kind of using uh uh thinking outside the box of of firefighting as they normally would to to try to contain this with so few resources so these scenes start to play out and they're they're really um frightening to read there you you talk about a situation where with horses fleeing what happened oh the horses so there's this 88-year-old guy named Jerome Balasic, and he lives at the end of Quail Canyon Road with his son, Kurt Balasic, and um, daughter-in-law. Jerome is interesting because his house burned down in the campfire two years ago. So the guy has already suffered a lot. All of his possessions are gone. And he wakes up on that on those early morning hours of Wednesday and realizes that the fire is again about to threaten this house that he calls home. So he evacuates in his pickup truck down this winding road. I mean, when you're going down it, the hillside literally falls off on each side. So with one slight jerk of the wheel, you could tumble and total your car. He can't really see. He's going along in the dark. He has the windows open, hoping that'll help him see the road better. There are firebrands flying in. One of them catches his pants on fire a little bit and burns his leg. And then out of nowhere, he sees these two horses running at him and his daughter-in-law, who is driving in a car behind them. And they both smash into their cars. The side of his pickup truck, it looks like he hit a brick wall. The metal is that dented and warped and the front headlight is broken. Um, obviously, these horses probably did not survive that impact. His daughter-in-law has to drive over the smaller of the horse so that they can get out. So, I mean, these are the kinds of harrowing evacuation stories you hear where it's not just people that are frantic and trying to get away, but animals too. It's a very rural part of Solano County. so. There's alpacas, there's ostriches, there's horses, there's goats, there's pigs, and they're all running around too. And many of them, alas, did not make it out. Wow. 
So in this audio clip, you, you hear Kurt Balasik describing what his father went through that night and what it looked like as the fire approached their home on Quail Canyon Road. I woke up my wife, I woke up my dad and said, hey, they want us to evacuate. Wasn't a super rush, didn't seem to be a super rush. And then I went back out to get my dad a, a duffel bag, throw some clothes in just in case. And by the time I went back outside, it was about a third of the way down the hill. And it was, we had a really strong wind blowing, so it was coming right at us. And so I ran back in the house and I said, stop packing, start going. They each took a car down and my dad went first and they got to the bottom of the hill and both of them hit horses or had horses hit them, depending on who you talked to. <laughs> my dad said the horse hit him. <laughs> And I don't, if, if you saw that truck that was parked out by the trailer over there, mm -hmm. it's, I had to go and drive it back, but it, the whole front end's mashed in. Matthias, I know you, you also um, saw sort of an amazing scene play out with, with volunteers up there, right? Yeah, it kind of speaks to, you know, the lack of resources that was up there as it was, um, the fire was racing through Vacaville. I, I pulled up along English Hills Road and saw this what looked like kind of like on a construction site when you see those potable water or not I guess non-potable water trucks that um kind of spray down the water so no dust gets up so there was a couple um old gentlemen in that truck and they were taking out this small little hose and they were they were spraying down this outbuildings on this farmer's property that had burned and and you know this this is you know with no firefighters really in sight at the time um and then you know I spoke to this other person who was uh um evacuated from his house along gibson canyon road and he's in this church parking lot and he's kind of wondering aloud to himself like i'm not you know where are the where are the the planes where's the airdrops i haven't seen anything like that and i my entire time out there i never saw a single airdrop or you know i've been to a lot of fires and you see the retardant getting dropped or you see helicopters dropping water and i didn't i didn't notice any of that and and it turned out, you know, that guy who was in the parking lot, his house was actually saved and he was escorted in when fire was kind of coming right up to the, the borders. And it turned out to be an inmate crew from CMF, which is in Vacaville, the California medical facility. And they had an inmate crew pull up right as that was happening. You know, he was using buckets from his swimming pool to try to douse these flames. And this this inmate crew came up and and started chainsawing trees and, and they protected the home and saved it. And as we noted in the story, um, that was another resource that was very thin was these inmate crews. And that was uh, due to the, you know, the pandemic and, and them having to, uh, you know, restrain how many of those crews are allowed to go out in the fires because of that. All right. Ultimately, how many people died as the fire came into Vacaville? I think it was uh, it wounds up being five for, for this fire, although it's it's not only Vacaville, it's also Napa County. Um you know, we're talking about a lot about the Hennessy fire, which was kind of the big fire that pushed into Vacaville. But, you know, it becomes the lightning complex fire because there's there's more than a handful of other fires that are sparked from the same um, lightning storms that kind of converge on each other. And and so it starts getting active in different areas um, after Vacaville flamed up. It got really heavy in the Napa County area. And so there was some spread out loss of life. But um uh, I think there's a total of five. And did the fire, how close did the fire eventually come to Vacaville and the high school and the, you know, and the nut tree and all of that? 
it basically got to Pleasance Valley Road, which is kind of the the western outskirts of um, Vacaville, and that's very rural. Uh, and it it spread up north to along, as I said, English Hills Road, which kind of spread out all the way up to Winters, um, which is then you know kind of getting close to um, Highway Five Hundred Five, uh, which is on the the eastern side of Vacaville. And so they, they, the, what they were worried about is when it swept through Pleasance Valley Road, I mean, we're talking about a kilometer away from uh, where downtown Vacaville starts. You start getting large subdivisions. You start getting into old Vacaville downtown. You start getting into schools and shopping centers. And, I mean, we're talking about, a, you know, 100,000-person city here. Um, and it never quite got there. They were able to stop the fire's direction in that, um, in that regard, it pushed out elsewhere as, as time went on and it got into Fairfield, you know, at one point. Um, but it, it did manage to avoid kind of like the major urban areas. But keep in mind, it did get close enough to Vacaville that they were starting evacuations of the subdivisions on its outskirts. Like it was that close that they were very nervous that it was going to leap into the heart of the city. I talked to this couple, who um, evacuated from Mix Canyon Road, and they they um, were driving through embers as embers were flying by, and they wound up evacuating to their daughter's house, who lives kind of in the orchard neighborhood of Vacaville, which is kind of just over the ridge past um, Pleasance Valley Road. So they got settled in there with their two feral cats and her husband, and and then they got an evacuation notice that they had to evacuate from the daughter's house, so they had to repack the cars and get out of that neighborhood. And fortunately, both their their homes survived. Before I let you guys go, I just want to ask a broader question. Why reconstruct a fire like this, get into this level of detail? And, and, and what kind of lessons can we draw from what happened in Vacaville? I think it's important as a service to our readers to help them understand these fires when they occur, particularly the ones that we saw in August where there were so many lightning complexes burning an alphabet soup of names, really hard to keep track of them, really hard to understand which ones were burning where. So particularly for people in the North Bay, understanding how this fire encroached on Vacaville, what actually happened. I think there was a lot of confusion as to how this tiny little wildfire all of a sudden arrived on the doorstep of a city of 100,000 people. And I think, too, that by writing these stories, we can help people understand that, you know, even if you are living in a city or on the outskirts in the wild and urban interface, these fires can still impact you. It's good to have a plan. It's good to have a go bag. It's good to know that, you know, you aren't untouchable, right? We're getting to the point where nearly everyone in California is impacted by these wildfires, whether directly because they've been evacuated, indirectly because they know someone has been evacuated, or just you live in a city covered in smoke. Um, I think Matias might have other takeaways to share. I'm not sure. This fire and these series of fires, I think, was kind of um, a big wake-up call for California. Um, I think lately we've had these historic fires, and we could kind of really pinpoint some man-made reason for them, You know, whether it's the negligent utility or or, you know, someone who's going camping and not taking care of their campfire. Um, but this was pure mother nature. I mean, this was uh, a series of storms. There's nothing we could do about lightning. Um, this has happened over time. Um, but now we're living in areas that 
are hit by these storms and we're living in areas that are uh, very densely wooded or um, with brush, uh, these interface areas. And so when these, when mother nature hits us with this stuff, there's people who live in these areas now and that, you know, uh, there's only so many firefighters to spread around when you have um, this many fires and they have to uh, triage these fires. And so they can only do so much. And when we're living in these areas now um, and the fires start, uh, they're going to have time to progress, as we saw with this one. This wasn't your typical fire where, you know, a down power line comes down and within an hour, you know, a town is being sieged by fire. This is something that happened very slowly because they had to very do very limited fire attack on it, if any, and it built up. And, you know, as some of the people we spoke to um, found out that in California these days, you know, if you call 911 for, for a firefighter um, in an incident like this, they're not necessarily coming. You know, you really have to be prepared on what you're going to do for yourself and how you can get, get out of there yourself and, and protect your loved ones. So in the past four years or so as these wildfires have gotten progressively worse, we've heard firefighters say over and over again, you know, this is the new normal. In this complex, these fires that ignited in California this August was the first time that they were really like, you know, this is just normal now and you need to be prepared for that because it's not new and it's not going to change. So we have to be ready. All right, Lizzie and Matias, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks to my guests today, reporters Lizzie Johnson and Matthias Gaffney, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.